the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. It's time! Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. For today's episode, I am being joined by Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. And we have a guest with us today from splashreport.com we have jorge hey everyone jorge thank you so much for joining us for what is a very very special episode it is the evening of the oscar nominations nominations were announced this morning and boy oh boy did they ever rock our worlds as they do every single year there were snubs there were inclusions there was heartbreak there was joy there was sadness and there was the sounds of a bunch of people joying in rapturous applause for la la land led the way with a record tying 14 nominations let that sink in for a minute people 14 the all-time record that's the same as all about eve and titanic so, Jorge, you're the guest on the show for this. What do you make of this 14 nominations? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And, um, I mean, obviously, that is the big story uh, of the day. And I guess it's pretty obvious. They really like the movie. Um, you know, up until a few years ago, it's hard to believe, but up until The Artist, no movie about Hollywood had won Best Picture. And now it seems to be their favorite topic. And 14 nominations, I mean, I think it's kind of, uh, beginning, middle, and end of the story. I, I have a hard time seeing anything uh, beating out La La Land for Best Picture, so it seems kind of like the race is over, from my perspective at least. Well, we still have a solid month here to go. Michael, what about you? What do you how do you take the 14 nominations? So I think the best way to look at the 14 nominations, because at first that number could be really intimidating, is to really break it down and see how it happened. We have to remember that it's voted branch by branch. So obviously this is a film that every branch liked, or just about every branch. Obviously it's not going to get like animated feature. That would be something if it did. <laughs> right. But uh, so you have to look. Here's a film that, I mean, no matter what you think of like the story itself, on a technical level, it really checks off every category there is. You have cinematography, you have production design, costume design, sound mixing. They even put in sound editing, which really is a uh, signal of strength. So it gets all these nominations, for the most part, that are deserved and expected for a film like this. So it just adds up to where we get to that number that happens to tie it with everything else. I agree with you. Every branch has their say in here, and it is the kind of movie that does have all of the respective elements. Having two song nominations certainly helped out a lot. Uh, This is not an ensemble film, so as a result, no supporting nominations. Um... If there were supporting nominations, the nomination total obviously would have been higher. It's it's pretty amazing to see 
how much support this film does truly have. And the thing that does put it now into that very, very respected class is that final nomination, that 14th one. That, And of course, I'm referring to that sound editing nomination. Do either one of you care to try to defend for me why the... 14th nomination, the sound editing nomination, is justifiable because I'm in the camp of this is totally undeserved. Uh, nope. Should have gone to Rogue One, probably. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not anything I'll be able to defend, but it's not like there's nothing there. They just really went for it in that way. Like, you do have the cars honking and the fire alarm going off in one scene, doors slamming, but that's not usually enough to warrant a nomination in many cases. I think it was just them checking off the film in the same branch. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, a clear sign when you said of strength. You're right in the sense that people clearly love this movie so much that wherever it was eligible, people were just simply marking it off. I mean, Ryan Gosling is also the other aspect of the movie that I and many other people would argue is a little weak. However, it was also a very weak field in Best Actor. I mean, it was the same five from SAG. Uh, Viggo Mortensen, Denzel Washington, Casey Affleck, Ryan Gosling, and Andrew Garfield. So, who else are you going to put in there? Joel Egerton? Although, yet, Best Actress, let's move over there for a minute, they managed to put Ruth Nega in there, and everybody had just written that one off. Or at least I did. I had heard that Loving had some strength towards the end. There were a lot of people who were putting it as their number one, which leads me to believe that maybe it was like 10 to 12 in the best picture slot. Like people really were moved by that film apparently. And even though it didn't get anything else besides Nega, I think her presence here really speaks volumes to how much some people like that. I mean, you have to believe that it was probably close in screenplay. Egerton was probably close, but the nomination for Ruth Nega definitely turned a lot of heads because everyone suspected that Best Actress was pretty safe with four nominees. And the big, big, big snub of the day went to poor Amy Adams, who does not get her sixth nomination now for Arrival. You know, that was just, I think, the victim of a competitive year. She was probably right there at number six. She's now going to be referred to as the Tom Hanks and Captain Phillips of this year, it looks like. <laughs> Or as I said on Twitter today, she got thompson Oh, Emma Thompson? Yes. For Saving Mr. Banks? Oh, I guess uh -huh. she did get into every category as well, except Oscar. That's true. She probably is happy in a way because she knew she wasn't going to win, and it's getting to the point with her where it's either, you know, give it to me or stop nominating me, I think. So I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm very sad that she didn't make it. Um, but it's so clear, I think, that, Emily, that Emma's going to win that she probably is, you know thinking, oh, well, what, you know, it's the same outcome anyway. You know, part of this almost helps her, I think, in the future, Amy Adams. Yeah. Because people will see that she's snubbed this year, and she's obviously going to get nominated again. She's huge. So when she gets this sixth nomination in a year or so, whenever it may be, she'll have this uh, thought of, oh, well, we snubbed her last time. Maybe she'll get the win next time, like Julianne Moore. Yep, definitely. That's definitely the So answer. this sort of adds to that, I think. Yep. And the point, the point I wanted to make with Loving is that, you know, Ruth Nega kind of steals the movie away from him. So it was very hard to see him getting in for that fifth best actor slot. I mean, the movie's great, but it's, it's really all about her, both in, in the real life story and in, in the movie itself. So while he's pretty good, it just, it's, it's kind of one of those 
things that she sucks the force out of the room. Now, what about Isabel Huppert, though, in this category? Does anyone think that she possibly might stand a little bit of a chance? I definitely do. Even though I still have Emma Stone as the far-out front runner, I'd be willing to call Isabel Huppert number two at this point. I think getting her in was the major obstacle. Sony Pictures Classic really has an opportunity to push her now. The problem with that, and I would love that, nothing, I, I, this is my favorite performance of those five, perhaps one of my favorite performances of the year. The problem with that is that they're not going to see her at BAFTA. They're not going to see her at SAG. She's not going to be around, you know, to like, so unless, as you say, Sony Pictures pushes her just in this, you know, the party circuit or, or things like that, they're not gonna, the voters aren't going to be seeing her and they're not going to have to watch her in foreign language films. So I just don't know if she's going to get enough exposure. I would love nothing more. It's it's going to be tricky for them, though. Yeah, I would argue that she might be just the number two now as well, because now moving down to number three is Natalie Portman and Jackie, whose film didn't do anything other than two tech awards, uh, one for its uh, costume design and another for Mika Levy in Best Original Score, which I was very, very happy about because I thought that score was very, very original this year and definitely deserved to be mentioned, but I was afraid that it was going to be too weird for the Academy to go for. And moving over to Best Original Score for a minute, one thing that I loved about this category is that, I mean, I myself predicted that they would do five whole new nominees this year that, you know, first-time nominations, never been nominated before. Uh, Michael, you were predicting John Williams for the BFG. And and I picked the wrong favorite. They went the other way. They instead went with a very, very, very big loser in Thomas Newman, who unfortunately is going to lose for the 14th time in his career at the Oscars. Uh, He got in for Passengers. Good for him. It's a really, really good score. It's actually, you know, I, I personally hate, passengers i don't like its message and i was really really off put by that movie however the two nominations that it did manage to get for best production design and best original score i can fully fully get behind those two i think those are the two best aspects of the movie yeah yeah i i i agree in original score i was very happy to see uh moonlight in there um the guy who did the score yes friend of the podcast fellow new yorker he is a New Yorker. He's, I met him in Telluride, actually, um, earlier this year, I guess last year, uh, during the Telluride Film Festival. And as you know, he did the big short, the big short score, which I loved. Um, and it's, it's pretty, pretty cool for him. You know, he's a young guy and he's a very nice person. So I'm, I'm very happy for that one. Absolutely. We had a chance to interview him earlier on our uh, podcast review for Moonlight, and he's just a very genuinely, really, really great guy. Very, very smart, too, especially. And I mean, the score is evidence of that, definitely. Um, let's talk about Moonlight. Moonlight didn't miss in any category that it, we, that like, people were expecting it would miss maybe in cinematography, maybe Nicholas Patel would miss in score. It, It got in everywhere it needed to literally everywhere. Well, the thing about that is that it's really a movie that nobody dislikes and with the competition, there was no like glaring thing on the outside that was going to take its place. So, I mean, yeah, it feels very secure, and it had a really good day. I'm happy for everyone involved with it. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about that competition aspect between La La Land and Moonlight in a little bit as we talk about what's uh, lying beyond uh, this morning's Oscar nominations. But 
Looking over some more of these categories here, how about best visual effects? Kubo to Two Strings becomes now only the second animated film in history, along with The Night Before Christmas, to get up uh, the night before Christmas, the nightmare before Christmas, to get a visual <laughs> effects nomination. I mean, that's pretty significant stuff. That's pretty cool. It's gorgeously done. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the story, but every technical aspect of the film is just jaw dropping. Yeah, I agree. And we have Deepwater Horizon in there too. That Bake Off reel, man, they weren't kidding. I should have listened. I really should have listened and gone against my Joe Letary prediction for the BFG. I don't think anyone can beat Doctor Strange for this one, though. It seems like that's the one that when people saw it, they were like, this is going to win. Maybe the Jungle Book, but... Oh, I think the Jungle Book has it easy. I I'm also think the Jungle Book has it. You know what? It. I've heard, though, from a Chris Tapley, he thinks Rogue One takes it. I don't know. There's a lot of controversy behind yeah. that, uh, General uh, Tarkin. I don't know. That's what I think. I, I think the Jungle Book was huge for Disney. It's putting them on that uh, Lion King track now. We'll see how that turns out. But uh, yeah, that just used some groundbreaking technology. Everyone liked the movie. I think that uh, has it. Uh, the What the Fuck uh, original song nominee this year was The Empty Chair from Jim the James <laughs> Foley Story. Which I am kicking myself for not having in my five. I had it at number seven or eight. Really? <laughs> Never, never, never underestimate J. Ralph. You know what? I I remember you saying that to me at one point. Jesus, that's so funny. Chasing Ice, Racing Extinction, yeah, yeah. and now the James Foley story. I'm next year when he has a song, he's going in my first spot. <laughs> <laughs> Plus that that those guys in original song always like to throw a curve like that. They love that. Alone yet not alone. You're alone yet not alone. Oh my god. But, uh, look, we got Oscar nominee Justin Timberlake also now. Yes, we do. Oh, my God. You're so right. Too bad it's for a song that he absolutely despises now at this point. Yep. You know what? I didn't see Trolls. I'm sure it's cute and everything. But that song is pretty catchy. The song's great. The movie's terrible. That was like one of those songs of the summer. Yeah. I don't think that's going to win. It's This is like La La Land versus Moana, if you could even call it a competition. Well, I don't know. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda, I mean, I, I, I'd like to give him... It's still less than 50%, but I'd like to give him, you know, maybe like a 45% chance of possibly taking uh, and thus getting an EGOT. Well, here's a little trivia to throw out. We're all agreed. It's either going to be Moana or La La Land and nothing else. Correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, for a little theater history, at the Tony Awards last year, Hamilton won Best Musical, which is from Lin-Manuel Miranda. The hottest sensation on Broadway now for this season is a musical called Dear Evan Hansen, which is likely the frontrunner for next year's Tony Awards. And the music in that was written by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who did La La Land. Oh, there you go. So whoever wins here will be either last year's Tony winner or likely next year's Tony winner. Hmm. That's cool. With Oscars in the middle. I think that's pretty neat. You know, I, I, I should have done a little bit more homework before we started here, but I wonder what precedent there is for... Uh, multiple songs from a movie getting nominated, and then that film still wins. Well, Dreamgirls lost, obviously. And Enchanted had that a few years ago. That's right before they changed the rules. Enchanted had three songs nominated and lost to once. Yeah. So, but I mean, Disney used to be able to do this all the time now. They would have two or three yeah. songs nominated, and they would still be able to pull it off, essentially. Yeah. There's different campaigning now, too. Like, City of Stars is such an earworm. That everyone who loves La La Land, I think, is automatically going to check that off. Whereas if they see Audition, The Fools Who Dream, that might not come as naturally to them. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm going to equate this to? I'm going to equate this to one thing right now. 
the last film to pull this feet off was Slumdog Millionaire, where it won for Jai Ho, and Osaya was also nominated Best Original Song. That's exactly what it is. This film also won Best Sound Mixing, which La La Land is going to do, and it lost Best Sound Editing. Oh, the parallels. It's happening. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? can you imagine the insult to this movie? For it not to win one of these two songs, I mean, it's impossible. That's the whole point of the movie. So it's definitely. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's sealed that City of Stars is going to win. But which annoys me because it's my least favorite song in the whole movie. <laughs> my too. In a movie with the song called Start a Fire, City of Stars is your least favorite. <laughs> uh, I, you know what I like about Start a Fire? I like that it's actually intentionally trying to be bad. Uh, okay, I, I get that. Wait, what you said about sound editing with a Slumdog losing there? Hmm. I get that, but what won in sound editing that year in 2008? The Dark Knight. Is there a Dark Knight in the sound editing lineup? Hacksaw Ridge. Possibly. Um, and t- I understand dude, you watch those war is... scenes? Those war scenes are insane. Yeah, and it'll be uh, Kevin O'Connell, right? Or is he mixing? He's mixing. What if they, well, maybe, oh. they, maybe this is where they try to give something to Arrival. I mean, they obviously like Arrival. They might say, you know, let's throw it a bone. And you know what is so funny? I maintain this every single year, and it always seems to be true. There's always one film that gets the lone sound editing nomination, and it's its only nomination. And this year, it's Sully. <laughs> hmm. We had such high hopes. Uh, you did, not me. <laughs> <laughs> My beloved Sully, reduced to the drive spot. Listen, it was never that good to begin with, okay? Hey, now. Well, also, over in Sound Mixing, we had the lone nominee. 13 Hours. Again, kicking myself for not putting it in the five. 13 Hours. Which is so funny because everyone was predicting it for sound editing. Hmm. Nobody, I don't think, had it in for sound mixing. Well, you know, it was it was sent to the whole branch. Yeah. So maybe they so. got confused or something. I don't know. <laughs> Regardless of which, though, uh, Michael, uh, your what do you, well, one of your favorite films of the year uh, managed to get a nomination, Hail Caesar, Best Production Design. Yeah, I was very happy about that. It's actually my personal uh, winner of the year, Hail Caesar. I have to give uh, Sam Coffey on our last episode a lot of credit for helping me to understand the minimalist set design of Arrival. Uh, he had it predicted I thought it was too minimal to not get nominated here, and yet not only did it get nominated, but... I would actually compare it to something like Her, where it's contemporary sci-fi, but the minimal production design is something that actually really goes into creating the entire atmosphere and mood of the film. Sure. And so as of which, I think it's actually probably my... I, 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 I'm like reconsidering it now and saying to myself, you know what, like that's that's a really cool nomination. I'm really, really happy that it managed to get in there because per- personally, I didn't think it would. So, there's those shots of her house, right? Where they like oh, in their the house, right? the house, yeah. and how it compares to what it looks like inside of the the UFO, basically. And I think that's probably part of what what got them in there. I agree. Um, best makeup and hairstyling once again. It basically bit just, of a twist. A bit of a twist is right. It's insulting. Yeah. It's it's everybody's laughing at them. They should be ashamed of themselves, and everyone's laughing essentially every year. They seem to nominate the most ridiculously random shit. Why can't they just put five nominees in this category to kind of round it out a little bit? Yeah. Okay, well, let me ask, though, because I know that you're probably referring to Suicide Squad here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, well, well, I haven't seen Suicide Squad, and I really don't plan on it. Don't. Yeah, I'm 
not going to watch it. But the makeup, was the makeup at least good? Well, the makeup is showy. Like, it's a lot of makeup. Because you remember nominations like Click and Norbit, and they're obviously not good movies. But Norbit, I think, maybe could have won. The makeup in Norbit, no matter what you think of the movie, is very well done. I'd say, I think that, yeah, I think that Suicide Squad had pretty decent makeup. I wouldn't, you know, I don't resent them that nomination. What I find funnier is that this is the second year in a row where they do something weird with like a Swedish movie. You know, there was this like the 100 year old man a couple years ago or last year, and now they have a man yeah. called And Ove. it's the same makeup artist. It's the same person. And so that he must have some sort of in into the branch there because it just seems kind of <laughs> odd. Who do we think wins here? Star Trek? I would say Star Trek, possibly, yeah. I mean, well, a man, a man called Ove, based on the back-to-back nominations, though. I mean, yeah, but no one's gonna see. The problem is, no one's gonna see that movie. And between Star Trek and and uh, Suicide Squad, if there's enough of the oh my god, you know, Suicide Squad is a terrible movie. Um, let's just go for the more prestigious Star Trek. You know, something a little sounds safer. I think that's and they rewarded Star Trek back in 2009. Yep. I, so that's probably... will this be the first sequel to win here for a film that won before? You know, um, Lord of the Rings won. Oh, one for a couple of them. Yeah, I won for the first one and for the, and the third. third. Yeah. Okay, I see that now. All right, never mind. Uh, best film editing. A lot of people were predicting a couple of different nominees for that fifth slot. Hell or High Water managed to get in there. Michael, did you have that one predicted? I can't remember. No, it was right on the outside. Gotcha. How about you, Jorge? Did you see that nomination coming? I actually had all, I got all five of those right uh, for some Ooh. reason. Um, I had Lion instead. That was one of, well, my irrational hatred of Lion kept me from predicting it a lot, and um, that is what it is. But I, ha- I think Hell or High Water, you know, those scenes towards the end where they're switching between the three or four different perspectives kind of were very well spliced together. Do both of you agree with me that this is going to be the easiest call of the night? Oh, La La Land wins film editing? Yeah. Yeah. You, other than best picture, yes. <laughs> I mean, just the way that the finale is cut and right. the opening scenes. I've seen La La Land three times now, and the editing always stands out to me as the best part. The only thing I don't like about the editing is that breakup scene. I just don't like the constant cutting back and forth between their close-ups. Uh, that's the only time in the movie where I was like, this is distracting. <laughs> like, But otherwise, those those moments that you're mentioning there, Michael, yeah, you're 100% right. They are amazing. Like when Mia sees uh, Seb playing for the first time and it cuts back to the traffic jam and then back to where we came from. I think that was so well done and clever. Yeah, I, you know, I think that the difference, you know, there's, there's been a number of musicals kind of in the revival of musicals in Academy history since maybe Moulin Rouge, right? And I, I have this little theory that the difference between the ones that do well and the ones that don't do well are the ones that are well edited. And when Chicago wins Best Picture, I, I remember thinking, I mean, the editing of this movie is like 99% the reason it won. And I think La La Land has that, and it, it helps. It, it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like this stage musical that you're watching, but it feels like a movie that happens to be a musical. So I think that it definitely has to win here, and it's going to win here. And it's funny. My favorite, uh, or the best edited film ever, in my opinion, won best editing here in 1979. That's also a musical, pop, All That Jazz. All that jazz yeah. uh, what else do we got here? Best Cinematography, Bradford Young, first African-American cinematographer for Arrival. Really awesome. Uh, Silence with its sole nomination here. Uh, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, what to- happened to Silence? Can we talk about that for a second? Well, we know we know what happened. No, I mean in some of the tech categories because, you know, I wasn't really high on Silence. But what happened to Dante Ferretti? 
I mean, listen, I think I, I think we all know what happened here, essentially. I mean, I truthfully believe that not enough people saw it. And when it came time to cinematography, you got to also remember it's the, it's the branches, right? Right. And Dante Ferretti is like a legend in the production design branch. I think they just they don't they didn't watch the movie. It was, it came out too late. It's long, and they had you know they had three or four movies that came out a little bit later this year, like Fences and Hidden Figures. And when the, you know they had, I guess they had another week, but it just you know it was probably at the bottom of the pile. Yeah, and just the cinematographers, uh, or at least enough of them, had a chance to see it. That's right. that's it. And another stat, another I guess another statistic that remains unbroken. Um, Bradford Young was nominated, first African-American. Uh, no woman still has ever been nominated for this category. Ah, oh, man. Yet we did have some progress over in Best Editing, where the editor of Moonlight, whose name I am blanking on, I'm so sorry, uh, what's her name? Joy McMillan, or Mick, I think it's McMillan, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, is the first African-American woman to be nominated for Best Film Editing. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Speaking of which, Jorge, why don't you tell me what you were telling me about supporting actress? Yeah, supporting actress, I believe, there's a couple of interesting, quirky uh, statistics there. The first is that it's the first time that you've seen three African-American actors or actresses in the same category. So obviously this year, there's Viola, there's Octavia, and there's Naomi Harris. And I'm also pretty sure, I've been doing some research on this, uh, that it's the first time that all five nominees in this category happen to be in Best Picture nominees. Um, oh. you know, obviously it helps that there's nine, but, uh, it's, it's pretty rare. I mean, if you go back and you just take a look, m- most of the time, not even one of them is in a best picture nominee. Uh, it, it's a pretty amazing, but you know, what's even more amazing than that. This is the part of the podcast where I give myself a pat on the back and I say, good job, Maddie. Good job. I predicted 20th century women would get that lone screenplay nomination in original yes, screenplay. Yes, you did, and I am so happy you were right. Ah, uh, I was jumping for joy when that when that when that was called because that was like my one thing that I saw that I was predicting and nobody else was predicting. So I was stunned that Captain Fantastic missed. Me too. That one for me was it really. I I really thought that was going to get it. I'm telling you, Mike Mills, a writer slash director, it, it like, and he also had the clout from beginners. Matt Ross, if this was, uh, uh, you know, another high profile film, whatever he does next, it, whatever he does next, and it's well received, I guarantee you, he gets that same nomination. I actually had 20th Century Woman as the one that I did not have because I just thought it was going to be too dark for them was the Lobster. So I had Captain Fantastic as all the season, yeah, all season we've had the Lobster. I have never removed it. And I'm very, very happy about that nomination because that's just one of those truly original, yeah. you know, nominations. No, it totally deserved it. Totally. And the writers have always been like that, too. They gave it to uh, Inherent Vice a few years back. Oh, I loved, loved that they recognized that. Even though I didn't really like the film all that much, the quality of the writing and the, the skill to adapt that novel, I mean, just insane. But, I mean, we've always seen some... Very, very weird nominations here. And they're always inspired, too. You know, you think of something like The Ides of March or mm-hmm. um, what's another one I could think of? In the Loop. Straight Out of Compton. Straight Out of Compton. Ex Machina. Uh, right. Uh, anything that Mike Lee has done. You know, it's like this, this branch really knows how to pick 
um, some really well-written work, and I, I, I applaud them for doing that every year, which is so weird considering that in, in adapted screenplay, I really, really, really did not think that Fences was going to get nominated. Yeah, you started to get off the Fences bandwagon for a while. What? Why do you stop predicting August Wilson? Because too many people were commenting that it was a copy-and-paste version of the play. When I did my research, it literally showed just that, that what was on screen really wasn't something that a writer like had to sit down and actually like, write for the most part. It was pretty much copy-and-paste, and I thought... Maybe people might have thought it might have been a little too self-indulgent with the long monologues, the wordiness of it all. Um, and it, you also got to remember, too, it didn't make it in at, you know, BAFTA and it didn't make yep. it in at Golden Globe. So yeah. I, I had I had my reasoning. It didn't make it in for directing at DGA. You kind of stopped hearing about Fences in the last couple of weeks. I was also wondering, there was a moment there where I thought it might even be side on Best Picture. I'm glad it didn't, but... It just, it kind of did go away. Let me correct the record. I've now found out that in 1988, all five supporting actress nominees were in Best Picture uh, nominees. So five, 30 years ago is when it, that wow. last happened. Nice. I, 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 was lucky, I was lucky that I still had it in Best Picture at number nine. Silence was my number 10. So I was very, very fortunate. Uh, but I also didn't think we were going to get nine nominees. I thought we were going to get eight. Right. I missed that Hacksaw Ridge one. I had eight and I had Fences, but missed on Hacksaw Ridge, which, you know, I, I just thought that mathematically it was hard to get to nine. There was nothing against Hacksaw Ridge. It was clearly a uh, very like. Uh, yeah. Mel and Gibson is back. Comeback too. Yeah, baby. Sugar tits and all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding, ladies. Um, listen, regardless of how you feel about Mel Gibson, there's no denying that Hacksaw Ridge was a really well-directed movie. With the amount of time that he had to shoot it and the budget constraints he was under, he made that movie look amazing. So what I'm more surprised by is not so much that he did get in based on skill, but he just simply got in with this branch. Yeah, I thought he was going to get in at DGA, and it was going to flip-flop, and Garth Davis would probably have gotten in for Lion. That was like the thing I thought that the Academy most likely was going to do, or maybe something a little bit more obscure, like a Pablo Lorraine or a Scorsese. Yeah. But it just, it, it, it was very weird to me. I, I thought that once he missed DGA, it was done. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the ones that are considered the snotty ones, right? So for them to kind of be the ones to welcome him back was definitely not what I expected. I, I would have seen Denzel in the, in there first or, or some of the ones you mentioned. I was, I was truly surprised by this. Um, last thing I want to comment on is Best Supporting Actor. <sighs> sorry, Hugh Grant. We're, we're so, so sorry. Yeah. I felt really bad about that one. I don't know what happened here. I don't know if it was category fraud or if he was just very close at number six. A very, very tight category, I would say. Uh, listen, I'm very happy with this lineup. I really am. I'm very happy that Lucas Hedges is in there. Yes, I love that they managed to recognize Shannon and still get Hedges in. I knew it had to come at the cost of somebody, and I thought that Hugh Grant was too strong and I wasn't willing to take him out, but I did hear some people starting to say, uh, the film's been out for a while. Meryl Streep really made herself well-known with Golden Globes, so she's probably safe. Nobody's really talking about Hugh Grant. He did miss out on... Um, uh, which one? Which one did Hugh miss? Did Hugh miss anything? Well, the Globe he, he was uh, the lead. 
Critics' Choice. He missed Critics' Choice. That was the one. So, I mean, realistically... And Shannon got Critics' Choice. Yeah. So... What's strange about it, though, is that Nocturnal Animals, it's, it's only nomination. So that just is a little weird to me. I mean, if it had had at least one of the technical... Um, but it's just, it seems odd. The way that the, that whole movie has been received this award season has been very strange to me with these random directing nominations, that Globe win, and now here, just one nomination for Supporting Actor with no precursors. Uh, I'm happy for Michael Shannon. He's a great actor, and I actually really like the movie, but it's just, it's kind of a bizarre outcome. What do we think of the idea that Michael Shannon got in as a makeup for missing for 99, 99 Homes last yeah, year? Yeah, it's possible. I completely agree with that. I also think that he's the more re- more respected actor amongst the branch compared to Aaron Taylor Johnson. And I also think that... And compared to Hugh Grant. Yeah. I was actually just about to say that. Yeah. Unfortunately so. As wonderful as Hugh Grant is in that movie, I guess Hugh Grant is still like not considered um, in the club still. And that happens a lot. I mean, it happens a lot. I think people, I mean, I've, I've always done well in my predictions when I don't go for the uh, Eddie Murphy's or the Sylvester Stallone's. I, and I never go for the, or the, you know, Bill Murray's because they have some sort of fundamental rejection of those guys, Mickey Rourke. They, you know, the Oscar blog, you know, universe tries to say, oh, it's the comeback story. And we like these guys, but they don't. And they, they're snobby or whatever it is. But they, they, they snub these guys, you know, time and time again. And you know what? The one person to miss out, Matt, I'm going to say it. Because it's the last time you're ever going to let me do it. Where was Tracy Letts for indignation? <laughs> Got that out of my system. It's a, it's a, it's a joke, Jorge. Um, Michael actually fought as, as good as he is, because he is good in that movie. He wasn't great. He was great. No. That's okay. He and Deborah Winger star in The Lovers, which comes out this May, so he'll get his nomination next year. It's okay, Tracy. No, he won't. Well, the question is, is Deborah Winger going to get her nomination and her win? Well, that, that's, that's definitely the more important question. <laughs> we shall see. A year from now. Regardless of which, though, that'll just about do it here for the uh, 2007 Oscar nominations. We have nine films in Best Picture. They are... Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, or as I like to call them, the films that will lose to La La Land. So, (laughs) moving on to other events of the week. It's very interesting because if you take all those uh, nine nominees I just said, PGA is happening this weekend. And with the PGA, uh, you have to add Deadpool into the mix here. Although we all pretty much know it's not really a factor. But do we have to add it into the mix? (laughs) It's there. I mean, we have to because it's actually there. Um, So those nine films. This is one of the closest years, right? Yeah. Well, well, that is the question. I want to ask you guys. Um, On a scale of, you know, if you're splitting it by odds here. What would you say is, is it between Moonlight and La La Land for PGA? What's the split? Uh, I would say 99.999 and 0.0001. Michael? Yeah. Agreed. It's it's a producer's movie. Okay, but I want to also remind everybody a couple of different things here. Did we also not say this about the social network, boyhood, 
come on, guys, help me out here, Spotlight. Well, I don't remember in what order, because they've switched around a little bit, but I think uh, by the time, uh, Spotlight, yes, by the time, I think by the time PGA went to the King's Speech, it had already beat, beat it out in the other two, so... I mean, no, yes. no, no. The Social Network won Critics' Choice and Golden Globe. PGA was the first thing that it lost. Okay, that was the first that it lost? Yeah, then SAG, and then DGA right after. Yeah, I mean, if it loses at PGA, it's, you know, whoa, that's, that's problematic for, for, for La La Land. But it's, it's hard to see. So, I mean, you're still sticking by 99 point, <laughs> yeah? Yep. I think part of the story with part of the story with La, with La La Land, right, is that you know it's this whole Oscar story that Damien Chazelle has that he had to you know he got rejected so many times and he had to do Whiplash and then the, the, he was able to get this money this this you know this movie made and I know he's not the producer of the movie but you know it's this story of Hollywood success about Hollywood success it's it's going to be very hard for them to ignore that. Well, how do you then explain how The Big Short won last year? That's a very good question. I, I have not been able to explain that to myself uh, other than, you know, looking back on it, other than to say it's one of those years where they really liked three movies more or less the same, uh, and it just changed week in and week, week out, right? This week, everyone was really big on The Big Short. It had just come out in the last, you know, the two or three weeks before the PGA. Then everyone was like, oh, really? The Big Short? You know, The Revenant? We really like The Revenant. Uh, I guess Spotlight was first. Um, but it, it moved like that. Here, it's, it's, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, if, if La La Land loses, it's going to get a lot more interesting, but I'm just not expecting it to. That was the preferential ballot result last year. Yeah. I, uh, it was so close. I mean, here's the other thing, too, I'll also throw out there in regards to this as well. We also have to remember that the PGA also tied with Gravity and 12 Years a Slave, which is unbelievably unheard of. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, like, practically mathematically impossible. Although it isn't, because it happened, but people still say to this day that that wasn't the case, and somebody must have changed something. Yeah. Because I don't think there is any way that you could have a tie on a preferential ballot, but whatever. I mean, what I'm just getting at here is that I don't know if this system of voting is as clear-cut and dry as we think it is when we're trying to figure out a quote-unquote best picture winner. Because in a year where you would have five nominees for best picture or ten, whatever it is, and you just went by whoever gets the most plural votes, right? Yeah. La La Land would definitely win. La La Land would definitely win. However, on the flip side of that, there's a lot of different factors to now consider with a preferential ballot. You have to factor in people that may rank it lower because they just don't like musicals, or they rank it in the mid-tier, or they rank it in two and three. Now, the, you know, the question on everybody's mind is, La La Land definitely is a number one movie for a lot of people. Is it a two or three movie when you stack it up with the other nominees? And I think that's the thing about last year that made that category so difficult, was that you had a lot of films, Mad Max Fury Road, The Big Short, Spotlight, The Revenant, not to mention all the others that were also involved. And it was really hard because the twos and the threes and the fours could be kind of all over the place. There wasn't really like a centralized ranking. This year, it seems like it's La La Land, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea. 
And everything else kind of fills out the bottom. The, the question is, the, the, is it, are the twos and threes going to matter at all? Because even under preferential voting, if La La Land has 50% of the number ones on the first round, it's over. So it doesn't really matter whether people like it at two or three. It's a good point. That is a good point. All right. La La Land's going to win the PGA. <laughs> what it's not going to win, though, is the SAG Ensemble. It is. It is. But before we get to that, there was another thing that's happening this weekend that I just want to talk about really quick, and those are the ACE Eddie Awards. Um, those will be happening actually on Friday. And so I just want to just go over those really, really quickly. Uh, to review, Best Edited Animated Feature Film, Zootopia, Moana, Kubo, and the Two Strings. Jorge, go. Uh, Zootopia. Michael. Zootopia. I'm saying Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, best edited feature film comedy: Deadpool, Hail Caesar, The Jungle Book, The Lobster, and some film called La La Land. Everyone, say it with me: three, two, one. La Deadpool. La Land. No, I'm kidding. La La Land. <laughs> Duh. Best edited feature film dramatic: Arrival, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Manchester by the Sea, or Moonlight. Hmm. <sighs> I mean, that's. I think it's going to be Moonlight. Um, I could see them going for Arrival. Uh, it's probably slightly better edited, but uh, they want to give something to Moonlight, so probably Moonlight. I think Moonlight too, but I would actually put Hacksaw Ridge at number two. I am going out on a limb, and I'm going to say Manchester by the Sea. That's a good. That's a good choice. That's a good choice. I really, really believe that that film is edited so oddly enough that people will kind of mistake jarring and disjointed as brilliant. <laughs> so whatever. We'll see. That'll be this will be an interesting one. It'll be an interesting one. Alright, now moving on to the SAG Awards. We got Best Supporting Actress. It's the same as the Oscars. I mean, I'll I'll just say for the sake of it, Viola Davis, Naomi Harris, Nicole Kidman, Octavia Spencer, Michelle Williams. But we all know how this is going to go down, don't we? Yep. Yeah. It's it, well. Here's a, here's a here's a question. I think Viola Viola's won a SAG before. I think she's going to win. Uh, oh, I see where you're going with this now. I mean, could they just think and say, "Look, we like we really like Moonlight. We really I just maybe I'm just so biased. I really like Harris's performance. I think it's the best. Uh, obviously, Viola deserves an Oscar, and it's a travesty that she doesn't have one. But if there's one place where she might lose. Even though I don't think she's going to lose, it would be here just because they'll say, look, you already have a couple a couple of SAGs. I want to maintain something before we go any further. I do not think that SAG is going to match Oscar in all four acting categories. Oh, neither do I. Interesting. So because of the – and here's the other thing too. SAG is also not old enough yet in my opinion where – you know, when they first started off, it was all about kind of making up to reward uh, people who are already Oscar winners and get right. them a SAG, essentially. Right. Now the question you have to ask yourself is, are they old enough now that they could start giving actors two SAG w- award wins? Or are they still in that mode of, we want to get you a SAG because we've never gotten you one right. before. And we're trying to play catch up with decades and decades of Oscar history. Absolutely. I wonder if that means we're looking at possibly a Michelle Williams win. 
Oh, there you go. That's a good one, too. She's definitely overdue. I, I'm definitely sticking on Viola Davis here, but I think the split will happen in a different category. You know what? Let's entertain that idea. I'm going to stick with Viola Davis as well for now. But it's very, very, very interesting. And for the record, I'm sticking with Viola too, but it's interesting. Best Supporting Actor, Mahershala Ali for Moonlight, Jeff Bridges for Hell or High Water, Hugh Grant, Florence Foster Jenkins, Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea, and Dev Patel for Lion. Mahershala Ali lost a Golden Globe. So he's not as of a clean sweeper this year as we think. He is a little vulnerable. What do you what do you guys make of that? Yeah, again, Mahershala Ali. I mean, the the globe that was just bizarre. <laughs> I don't know what those guys were thinking. Uh, I think this is an easy one. Are you ready for me to blow your mind? You're gonna say Hugh Grant. No, I'm not. Oh, okay, alright, go on. You ready? Mm-hmm. Dev Patel. Now, I've heard one other person say this. I need to, I need to know why you're saying it. Okay, so I will fully admit that part of this is just me trying to be a little creative. <laughs> and I have a feeling that I'm going to fall flat on my face and that's going to be the end of it. And I'm fully willing to admit that. However, I feel like after Mahershala lost the Golden Globe which should have been an easy win considering Moonlight won Best Picture there, there's some little sign of weakness going on. Maybe it's because he's only in the beginning of the film yeah. and doesn't show up for the rest. I think that's I exactly I can't really why. Pin, yeah. I can't really pinpoint the rest of it. Or how about that he would be the weirdest Best Supporting Actor winner like ever in terms of the actual performance? It's yeah, so it, understated. It's very strange. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm not 100% sold yet. Meanwhile, Dev Patel, even though Lion is not up for uh, cast ensemble, he's uh, been argued to be the lead of that movie. Right. And the same could be said for Hugh Grant, unless they pull an Idris Elba like they did last year where he wins but isn't nominated at an Oscar. I don't see that happening. See, now that's what, that's what I'm thinking here, possibly. So, I don't know. I'm putting my money on Dev Patel just to see what happens. It could also be Jeff Bridges, because he seems like he's number two at Oscar, maybe. I don't know. It's up in the air, though. Okay, let's get down to the nitty and gritty here. Best Actress, Amy Adams for Arrival, Emily Blunt for The Girl on the Train, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone for La La Land, Meryl Streep, Florence Foster Jenkins. Okay, well, that one, I mean, <laughs> Emma Stone is the, their only chance to give La La Land some love. So, by default, Emma Stone, I mean, the theory I could see is... Meryl has never won a SAG. You know, she's Meryl Streep. How is it she's possible? She's won a SAG. Which one? What did she win for? She won for Doubt and Angels in America. Oh, she's never. She won for Doubt. I thought she missed out on that. Okay, well, um, she's won a SAG, but she gave this speech, and everyone's talking about it. And you know, are they going to want to reward her for that? You know, that's the theory I could see. Otherwise, while I'd love to see Natalie Portman win, I just have trouble. Seeing you know Emma Stone not losing this when it's La La Land's only only opportunity. Natalie Portman already has a SAG. Yep, it is La La Land's only opportunity. I think this is Emma Stone. Those two reasons alone are enough. Although here's here's something that's cracking me up. I've been getting <laughs> constant constant screenshots uh, from somebody on Twitter 
who keeps sending them to my inbox. I don't want to say who this person is, but he keeps on screenshotting uh, SAG uh, actors, people that are within the guild, saying in their status updates that they absolutely love Emily Blunt in The Girl on the Train, and they're totally <laughs> voting for her. And he just keeps on... He so far sent me... Hold on. Five. He sent me five uh, screenshots of different SAG uh, people saying that they're voting for Emily Blunt. I mean... <laughs> it's cracking me up. Uh, regardless of which, that is not happening. It's gonna be Emma Stone. Alright. This is the ch- this is the tough one. Best actor, Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, or Denzel Washington for Fences. Are you going with Casey or are you going with Denzel? Casey. Oh, Denzel's yeah. never won a SAG. I don't. Is know. that right? He's never won. Yeah, Denzel's never won SAG. That makes it tougher. I want to say Casey because I think he'll win the Oscar regardless. But Fences is also up for cast ensemble, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say Casey with an asterisk. <laughs> so what you're basically saying is. If Denzel wins actor, there's no way that Fences wins ensemble because you're not going to have Viola, Denzel, and the cast win ensemble. But if Casey Affleck wins actor, then you're basically what you're saying is that you can't have Fences win too many on the night, basically. Is that what I'm hearing here? Mm. We're going to talk about ensemble in a minute, so I'll save my thoughts for that. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say Casey hesitantly. All right. Um, man, I... All season long, I've been saying Denzel Washington would win at SAG because he does not have a SAG. And my original theory was that he would win the Golden Globe, then win SAG, and then go on to win the Oscar. But once Casey Affleck won the Golden Globe over him, that's when I said, you know what? He steamrolled the critics. He's won literally more critics awards than Mahershala Ali. Yeah, he's the most rewarded actor of the year. I, I mean, this just seems like it's something that's unstoppable. Yeah. So, I'm going with Casey Affleck. Yeah, Casey. Jesus Christ. Okay, I I so don't feel good about this that we're all picking Casey, but yeah, neither do I. Something's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, because here's the deal: if if Denzel Washington wins, we're gonna be heading into Oscar night like biting our nails. Of yeah. who's winning Best Actor. If Casey wins here, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, I wouldn't say signed, sealed, and delivered because there's that stuff going on with him, which is always a comeback in February towards the end. There is a month for it to kind of like build up steam and take hold. It's not the same, but remember, I remember people thought that Kate Blanchett was going to be taken down by the Woody Allen stuff, and it didn't really happen. I mean, if the performance is strong enough, I think they were willing to overlook it. It's possible, but. Yeah. All right. Best Ensemble Cast, Captain Fantastic, Fences, Hidden Figures, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight. I've been saying it all season long. Uh, even if Lawland had been nominated here, I still say Moonlight wins Ensemble. It's the best ensemble of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, so obviously it's, I mean, the three actors, you know, the three actors playing the main guy and and playing the friend, right? I mean, that's 
that's in and of itself like it's hard to pull off and it's it's a great ensemble it has no it's not all three actors actually alex hibbert is not included in the sag oh okay he doesn't have his own screen title which uh they have really specific rules so little will not get the award if they win which is really upsetting agreed that is upsetting i I guess what i mean more was that you know just uh it's an ensemble movie right uh so i think that it just it makes sense uh could I see something else winning? You know, people really like some of these other films, but I think, yeah, it, it's probably Moonlight. Moonlight, yes. I think it's going to win. If, what was all that if, shit before about uh, Fences? No, I, I had to think it through. If Denzel did win Best Actor and Viola, of course, won Supporting Actress, I mean, that would cover the whole thing except for the uh, small supporting cast. I don't know. It's tough. I do have Fences as the number two. But I think at the end, Moonlight takes it just on account of the love for the film. See, it's funny because I, Ma- I have Manchester by the Sea in number two. Could, could Kid and Figures be number two? I mean, you look at the cast. They have a lot of really known names. They have Kristen Dunst. They have Kevin Costner, you know, Jim Parsons. Plus all the, you know, plus the three women. Um, they have Mahershala Ali there. Could that be number two? Uh, you know what's number two? I just realized... It's it's La La Land due to a write-in because everybody <laughs> loves it so much. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Captain Fantastic. What about it? No, what if that one? It's not going to. <laughs> I'm just messing. Uh, no, I'm not even going to entertain the idea. It's like, it's like Deadpool winning the PGA. <laughs> and, and now because I said that, lightning's going to strike twice over the weekend and all all the, you know, hell on earth is going to occur, essentially. And <laughs> We already have hell on earth as we speak. It's okay. Yeah, right, right. It's like, you know what? We, we, our movie award season, we can't even have that. That's going to go too. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get out of here, Jorge, is there anything else uh, for the week that you wanted to touch upon? Any other thoughts, ideas? Do you want to give a shout out to anything that you wish had gotten a nomination but didn't, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned maybe uh, I would have liked to see Amy Adams, but I'm pretty happy overall with you know them recognizing the actresses that they did. Uh, it's a it's a pretty solid year compared to others. Uh, I think we'll know a lot more at the end of the weekend after uh, PGA, Ace, and SAG. You know, we'll, it'll be much clearer where we're going with this. Yeah. What about you, Michael? Is there anything else that you want to comment on about the week? Uh, just going back to the nominations. I've been playing the Oscar game for nine years now. I started the year of Slumdog Millionaire, really paying attention to it. I was in middle school at the time. And looking back on how I've scored in other years, I'm proud to say that this is the highest I've scored on nominations. I got 95 out of 122. That's really good. You beat my score. I had an 89. Oh, well, I mean, that's right up there. I think we all scored within the same range because we weren't that far off with some of our guesses. That's really, really good, though. That's a really good score. Good for you. 95. I topped my previous score of last year, which was 92. Nice. Nice. So I'm very happy about that. Very proud after nine years. 2000, 2009 is my is my best year ever for awesome. nominations and for wins. So. Well, you may you you may be able to break your own record in terms of the wins. I have a feeling that the nominations were a little bit you know a little bit easier because of these La La Land, Moonlight, uh, you know, train. So we'll see if that holds over to the actual wins. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to the following: The Witch, Patriots Day, 
A Monster Calls, Hunt for the Wilder People, Sing Street, The Edge of Seventeen, The Handmaiden, American Honey, The Nice Guys, and yes, even you too, Deadpool. <laughs> for being films which managed to not get a single Oscar nomination but still found a way into my heart in 2016. <laughs> so, good for you guys. You guys will never ever leave that place nor my mind and memory. Well, maybe my memory. we got to see cool. how old age takes its course. But anyways, before we get too dark in this joint, Jorge, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter at jdonburnham, which is my... Uh, you know, writing pen name, and most of, most of the time on SplashReport.com, I'm also on Instagram, at awards underscore predicts. Nice, nice. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. We really, really loved having you on. Thanks, guys. It was really fun. Thanks for having me. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? As always, Twitter at Mike Movie. And you could find me at Next Best Picture. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Player FM. Be sure also to leave us a review on iTunes, which we would all really, really greatly appreciate. We made it through the Oscar nominations, and now we have four weeks of trying to figure out if there is a race or not. So, until then, we will see you all next time. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.